2: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
3: What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. It's me, your man, M.G., Marcus Grant, socially distancing away from the Fantasy Hall of Famer, Michael Fabiano. Uh, it's good to be back. I mean, we you know we've kind of been uh, separated for the last week or so. So uh, it's nice to have us all kind of back in one space again right
4: now. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's good. Uh, we missed you last week. We had our, our pal Bob Harris on there who did a great oh, job. Uh, and uh, look at Eddie, man. Look at that. Did you get another haircut? Like, I, I, it looks like the the hair might be a little <laughs> bit shorter. I don't know. Maybe I, he gave his girlfriend a second chance. No. At, I, at, at, <laughs> no. <laughs> no.
5: I uh th- in Los Angeles, right? But I flew home, so that's why I'm currently in this setup, and I'm also missing my uh my headset, yes. the gaming headset. Well, I forgot that, but before I flew back, uh the good old supercuts opened up, so I went uh. to have them <laughs> the the botched uh, haircut that my girlfriend did. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's growing back uh, even now.
4: All right. n- never so happy to enter a supercut. <laughs>
5: yeah, I'm guessing. The guy noticed too. is so embarrassing. He's like, "Yeah, it's just, he's like it's pretty messed up." It's like nothing is even here. I feel happening.
3: like I feel like for a lot of you know barbershops and salons that are that are starting to reopen, I'm sure they're getting a lot of that. A lot of people yeah. walking in where it's like, "Oh, you did this yourself," or yeah. like, "You know, you had somebody who's not a professional do this." I'm sure they're getting a lot of that right now. Yeah, like, no doubt. That. Oh man, uh, got a fun show for you today. We've got JJ Zacharyson coming on. Of course, if you if you follow fantasy football, if you follow fantasy Twitter. You probably know him. He's the late round quarterback. Uh, has a couple of podcasts. Works for Fanduel and NumberFire. So uh, excited to get him on the show. Just kind of talk some fantasy stuff. He's got some uh, some new theories he's kicking around. So want to kind of pick his brain on that. But always like to do kind of a big story of what's happened uh, in the last week. Um, I know maybe the biggest story is the fact that a handful of players from the Cowboys and Texans. Uh, tested positive for COVID-19. And, Ed Fabs, you and I sort of talked about a couple of weeks ago how life might be for fantasy because this was sort of an inevitability. So, uh, you know, other than saying, you know, we, we wish them all the best, we wish them, uh, you know, that, that uh, good health and what have you, I don't know what to add about that unless you have some, some other thoughts. I feel like that is sort of, you know, all we can say. I, I guess,
4: I guess if you're going to get it, get it now. Right. So you, you don't have to worry about it. Assuming that that makes you somewhat uh, you know, sort you're not going to have to worry about getting it as much a second time around, but Listen, man, like th- this should be kind of a, a, a warning sign to fantasy owners. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Dudes are going to get their coronavirus during the course of the regular season. So you need to make sure that you talk to your commissioner about expanding rosters. If you're in Superflex or two QB leagues, maybe going to a team quarterback, uh, putting in a, a, a spot there for COVID 19 players, also a designation, adding injured reserve spots. You're going to have to change the way that you play fantasy football this season. Uh, because of the threat of the coronavirus. But uh, for Zeke, I mean, I guess, like I said, better now than like in, you know, October. October,
3: right, exactly. Um, The other big story from the last few days, and and this is something that has sort of been kicking around, I think, even before we talked about this pandemic. Um, A two-game preseason could be coming as soon as this year. Fabs, I know... For fans, I know it's an exciting thing because we know how fans feel about preseason games, especially Mm -hmm. because the Stars very rarely, uh, they don't play much if they play at all. For us, though, I know we sort of use some of these games to get a feel not only of how well guys are playing or how they look, but who's getting snaps and who's getting playing time. So two games is this good, bad, indifferent? I mean, how are we feeling about this? Uh, how are how are the teams even gonna
4: you know utilize their star players? like mm-hmm. are, are they gonna even play them uh, in in both games? like are, are they gonna you know what? we're gonna play it safe. Uh, you know we have this coronavirus thing. Uh, we're gonna play it safe and we're just going to you know give these guys a few series in the first preseason game. Maybe in the second preseason game, it's more like week four of the preseason where, you know, the guys actually get a lot of touches. Uh, you know, they play for maybe a quarter or two. Uh, so it, but it's all uncharted territory, Marcus. Right. Like we, we simply don't know uh, losing preseason games, as you said, might be fun for fans because ultimately some of these preseason games are uh, not very meaningful. But it also uh, doesn't allow us the opportunity to to sort of evaluate uh Playing time, snaps, touches, et cetera, as you mentioned, it's a different world, bro. And I mean, you know, we, we, we've we talked to Austin Eckler and, you know, Austin thinks this season is going to start slowly from a physical perspective because, they, I mean, guys haven't been around each other in, in a normal settings right. in OTAs. And they're going to be around each other in camps, uh, training camps for the first time. Although some of these guys obviously have gotten together. You know, you're seeing you know, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. You've seen stuff about, you know, Matt Ryan and, and others and Josh Allen getting the t- the guys together. But it's it's totally different than being actually, uh, you know, at OTAs or in camp. So uncharted territory, my friend. So it's going to be very interesting and a little more difficult for us who uh, who analyze the game to do that because less football.
3: Yeah, I, I, would, I would think if anything, maybe it, it helps – Uh, When you're talking about deeper rosters and deeper leagues, I know for for the folks who are into dynasty football, maybe this helps because you can see some of those guys who are further down the depth chart. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the the only thing that comes to mind for me is last season uh, when Sean McVay decided he was not going to play any of his starters, any snaps at all in the preseason, which... Was sort of frustrating for a lot of us who were trying to figure out what Todd Gurley's situation was going to be right. and trying to figure out how healthy he was. Uh, so I think I think we may have more of that where you know those those frontline guys probably aren't going to see much time. And mm-hmm. so I guess if you're in a deep league, maybe this works out for you. Cause you can see a lot of those guys, uh, a lot of those depth guys uh, get some opportunity. There.
4: And so. think about it too, beginning of the season, especially with young players, with rookies who have never stepped field in on a national football league field. And, you know, Tom Brady, although I I think maybe it's lesser for Brady because, you know, he's a veteran and uh, he's going to be able to sort of gain that rapport a little bit quicker. But, you know, like a Jared Stidham is the new starter for the Patriots. At least that's what we project. you know, Joe Burrow with the Bengals, uh, Nick Foles, you know, with Chicago. I mean, there's, there's a lot of examples of that. And then you go into the regular season, right? There's no home field advantage if there's no fans. (laughs) (laughs) So suddenly you're analyzing things differently. So you're going into the season as an analyst and as a fantasy fan, with less information, with less game film to watch if you do such a thing. And you also don't have to project home and road scenarios right. because, <laughs> I mean, they, they may as well be playing anywhere, like because it's almost going to be just like pick up football. There's not going to be any fans in the stadium. At least that's what we expect to, to begin the season.
3: Yeah, it, I immediately thought of Ben Roethlisberger, right, a guy who – Is notorious for his home and road splits. Even Drew Breeze, another guy, Mm -hmm. although I I feel like for Breeze, some of it has to do with playing indoors versus outdoors. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, for guys who who are notoriously better at home versus on the road, is this going to make a difference? Yeah, no idea. We have no idea. in Seattle. Like, think about
4: Seattle. Their home field advantage is huge. So is Aaron Stadium cheap, right? Not gonna happen anymore. Uh at least not not to begin with. At least that's not where what we're sort of projecting at this point. So yeah. yeah.
3: Well, that's going to be interesting. Obviously we'll get more information about it as we get closer to the start of the preseason. I mean, right now, I think the hall of fame game is still scheduled to go forth uh, in early August. We'll see if that happens. We'll see mm-hmm. if there are fans in this. St- I can't imagine they're going to to put fans in the stands, no.
4: especially with like all the cases spiking now, right across the country. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know that they would have fans,
3: right. which, also means and i don't know may, maybe have they have they postponed the hall of fame induction ceremonies i i don't i don't, I don't remember if that's happening I
4: I, I I feel like there's going to be some sort of ceremony but i i would imagine that it's it, maybe it's virtual but i i, I don't right. know but i think they were talking about going along the nfl has gone along with everything i mean it has it's just been different
1: yeah
3: it, it also has helped that for the nfl there hasn't there has been no games, right? Everybody else, right. you know, the NHL, the NBA, you know, they were in the middle of their seasons. Baseball mm-hmm. was was in spring training and about to start its season. Mm-hmm. The NFL had pretty much wrapped everything up. I mean, the, the, the draft, yeah, it, it sucked to not have fans there, but you can do it virtually, yeah. uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we're now starting to get to a point on the calendar where the NFL has to make some hard decisions. Because I can't imagine doing a Hall of Fame induction ceremony and not, having fans there i mean that is Mm -hmm. i think part of the event there so yeah uh, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, so there you go. That's uh, that's our big story for right now. Joining us now, you know, normally when we have guests, I usually say joining us now on the phone, but we're in a new world now. So joining us now on our <laughs> stream here uh, is the one and only JJ Zacharyson. You know him on Twitter as the Late Round Quarterback. He's the editor-in-chief of FanDuel and NumberFire. He also hosts the Late Round Quarterback podcast and the Living the Stream podcast. JJ, it's been... It, it, we're overdue to have you on this show, so I appreciate you coming on. Please tell me that I got all of that big introduction right for you. Crushed it, man. You crushed it as always. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, So the reason, uh, one of many reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because uh, a few weeks ago on the Late Round Quarterback podcast, you sort of played <laughs> against type, right? I mean, we know you as the Late Round Quarterback, but you had a pod, uh, for those who, who haven't heard it, um. Evolving the late round quarterback strategy, where you sort of advocated for maybe not always going that route? Uh, and so if you just kind of walk me through what changed your thinking, what kind of led you down that path?
5: Yeah. So, I mean, if you think of of why the late round quarterback strategy and approach works, uh, it's really a supply and demand thing. Right. You know, you're starting one quarterback in, in every single quarterback league. And, and that's why we're getting all these usable quarterbacks late in drafts, because people don't need to to reach for quarterbacks. Right. And through the years, you know, I wrote my ebook originally, the late round quarterback back in 2011 or 2012. And, and during that 2012 season, we saw five quarterbacks being drafted in the first two rounds of drafts. And through the years, that's obviously shifted. It's changed. And, I, you know, it's not it's just it's it's partially because people have become more aware of just the strategy in general. But it's partially because the quarterback pool got really, really good and talented. Right. Um, but through the years, uh, all of that shifted. And it's funny because back when I wrote that book, you know, eight years ago or whatever, you um, the round eight was really where the 12th quarterback was being drafted. And at round eight, I said to myself, you know, the opportunity cost isn't very significant here. So that's when you can, can can go after your quarterback and feel confident going after your late round quarterback around that time. If you look at last year, the QB six was being drafted in round eight, right? So if the, if the opportunity cost wasn't that significant in 2012 for me, it shouldn't be, you know, here in 2020 either. And I think that, so it's that combined with the fact that fantasy managers are getting smarter. Uh, and the consensus is getting smarter. We know the value of a rushing quarterback and the importance of a rushing quarterback. And what we're seeing is a shift in, in the way that we're ranking players and seeing them in ADP, where Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott and Josh Allen and these players who do a lot with their legs, uh, they're now finally being appropriately valued. Um, And that's really shifting my mind to saying, okay, if this QB six, let's say, or even this QB three in some expert leagues is going in the in round seven or eight or nine, where we know that the opportunity cost isn't very significant, then going more with that middle round quarterback approach kind of makes sense because the market has become more efficient with how they're valuing those quarterbacks.
4: Yeah, I know when I'm doing drafts uh, and Marcus knows me, man. I always wait, dude. I I always, (laughs) always wait. But there comes a point where like. Uh, so, something, something sort of pops up and I'm like, w- w- wait a minute, I'm in the, I'm in the seventh round and Russell Wilson's still there, or I'm in the eighth round and, and, and Josh Allen's still there. And at that point, cause and Marcus, I know that we did a draft uh, several weeks ago where I ended up taking Lamar Jackson because right. <laughs> I think he was there in the which, third or fourth round. And I'm like, I, which th- you want to talk, floored
3: it floored me. <laughs> you want to talk about
4: going completely out of character. I'm like, hell I'm going to take him." And typically that's not going to happen. But there does come a point, JJ, I agree with you where you, you, and it's different between like home leagues and like the leagues with all the sharks that we play in. Right. Because like, I mean, some of these quarterbacks last way longer than they should in the experts leagues, because we all know we're going to follow the same sort of method, but in the home leagues, like if you, if you're seeing suddenly, you know, Russell in the seventh round that to me, that's a good spot to take him. You know, Josh Allen in the eighth round, good spot to take. If Dak Prescott's on the board, in the sixth round, same with Kyler. I mean, I, I'm probably going to go out and take them because as much depth that there is in the position, these guys who can run with the football, and we've seen it for years and years, you can use the the examples of even guys who sucked at throwing the football, like Terrell Pryor or Tim Tebow, for example, they still had a lot of value because of what they could do with their legs. It absolutely makes sense if these guys are on the board, round six, round seven, round eight, to go out and grab them because you're going to have a solid starting
3: quarterback for you know hopefully 16 weeks you know I one I I I sort of appreciate you saying this JJ because it sort of validated a a thing I was saying last year in that you know I get waiting on quarterbacks but if you're going to reach early reach for the right one and at the time I said that about Patrick Mahomes like I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I was forward thinking enough last year to say you should draft Lamar Jackson like in the fifth round like I, I just didn't but it also sort of led me to wonder, and I want I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Have we reached a point too where we have to sort of rethink quarterback scoring? Because we do have such a glut of quarterbacks. And I think when you talk real football, there is there are tiers, there is a gap between you know some of your top-tier quarterbacks and some of your kind of middle-of-the-road quarterbacks. But in fantasy, we've kind of lumped them all together. Do we have to sort of change the way we we score quarterbacks and value quarterbacks at this point?
5: Yeah, you know, I I do think that that conversation needs to happen. Um, But I also think that oftentimes we the community, whoever's setting that that precedent, uh, we we often think that changing like quarterback passing from four touchdowns to six touchdowns is going to make this dramatic impact when it's really not. Uh, if you look at things on a game by game basis, you know, if you look at things from a season long perspective, sure, obviously Patrick Mahomes, who's projected to to throw 40 touchdowns versus a guy, a baseline guy who's projected to to throw 25. That's a 15 touchdown difference times two points. That's 30 more points that Patrick Mahomes is giving you per week, but on a, on a per week basis and a week to week basis, the real reason why you can stream quarterbacks for instance, is because they're the most predictable position in fantasy football, right? So it, that doesn't necessarily take care of, that advantage that you have at the quarterback position um and, and the fact that these guys are on the waiver wire and that you can still pick them up off the waiver wire and stream them so if you're going to make changes to scoring what i've found is that you need to make really dramatic changes like changes that that you would question does this even make remote sense <laughs> you know to to give a guy 10 points per, ta- per passing touchdown um because it's really what what it comes down to whenever you factor in the replaceability. To me, the easiest way is to bump it up a little bit, you know, give it six points a touchdown pass, let's say, and, and maybe uh, increase the interception total to, to being maybe minus four instead of minus two, um, and then add a super flex spot just to, to increase that demand a little bit and, and force people to draft the position a little bit earlier.
4: Yeah. So do, you, do you think it makes sense though to do one or the other? So either you're changing the scoring system or you're adding a super flex position because. I basically what we want to do is sort of increase the value of the quarterback position, right? Because it's it's the most valuable position in right. the national football league. Uh, y- you can never find 32 guys who are really good at it at the same time. And there's, you know, a billion people on the planet. But if you, if you add that, that super flex where most people are going to be starting a second quarterback, then rather than increase or decrease some of the statistical uh, rewards that you get in fantasy leagues, Maybe that's sort of the simple answer and an answer that a lot of people who are kind of just playing casually would rather see than completely overhauling uh, a position scoring.
5: Yeah, I totally agree. I at least think that that's a great like transition spot, right, where we can we can see, okay, we're playing in these single quarterback leagues this has been hacked. We've, we've figured out ways to, to take advantage of this. So now we're going to add this super flex spot. Let's see then over the next five years or so, how, how ADP changes and how people are reacting. And, and, you know, honestly, it's going to force us as content creators to create more interesting and, and more strategic content around super flex leagues, where we're going to discover, you know, different strategies and ways of, of attacking those leagues. And then Sure, eventually we might figure out that we can hack those too. But I think that it's a very, very logical step to sort of make the quarterback position more valuable. Uh,
3: changing gears a little bit, you wrote a series about how to find breakouts, and like I, I love the I love your your cross pollination because you write about how to find them, and then on you you, you know, shift people to the podcast where you actually name the guys that you consider to break. <laughs> hey Man, it's genius! Like, I'm not knocking it in the least bit. But what I thought was interesting because you do sort of. Uh, analytically break down how you consider a breakout and the things that people should look for when they're talking about breakouts, whether it's running back wide receiver, tight end. It, it got me to thinking though, because especially for us, you know, us industry folks who are always drafting against each other and like we're reading each other's work. We're listening to each other's podcasts. We have an idea of how some other people think and who they like. How do you balance trying to get those breakout guys without potentially reaching and overdrafting them. That seems sort of like the, the big challenge nowadays.
5: Yeah, well, fortunately, in expert leagues, everyone's arrogant enough to get their guys. You don't have to worry <laughs> about it as much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's t- it's definitely tough, uh, you know, in my home leagues, let's say, where, you know, last year, I really liked Lamar Jackson. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to, to pat myself on the back. It's just a, a fact. But I'm saying that because in my home league, it's an auction draft. Everyone bid up Lamar Jackson. I ended up getting him, but I weigh overpaid for Lamar Jackson. I just ended up getting lucky by getting Lamar Jackson. Um, but to me, you know, the way I approach fantasy is that it's less about the players that you get and more about the players that you don't get. You know, a big, big piece of, of my analysis and what I look at is opportunity costs. I already talked about opportunity cost to you guys today. Um, but it's really, you know, the fact of, You know, when we're when we're drafting Travis Kelsey in the second round of drafts, we're saying, oh, I'm excited. I'm getting Travis Kelsey. But really, what you should be looking at is what you're not getting when you take Travis Kelsey and what you're not getting when you take Travis Kelsey. You know, at times is a really good running back in Miles Sanders, who could who could blow up and be a top five guy. It's a, a Chris Godwin type who could be a top five guy with Tom Brady. You know, it's it's there. There's this opportunity cost equation that I think goes overlooked a little bit. Instead of focusing on those guys, I'm more so focusing on what I'm not getting. And so from that perspective, um, my consideration set and guys that I'm targeting and and getting in drafts is larger rather than smaller. And I sort of approach it the same way with trades, right? There there are guys that I want to avoid, and there are guys that I just don't really want on my fantasy team. That number shouldn't be large. That number should be small because there's a lot of usable players in fantasy football, right? So when I'm targeting in a trade, let's say, I'm looking for teams that have or, or that need what I have. And I'm giving them those things that I have that they need. And I'm, I'm open to getting a lot of the players on those rosters. You know, I'm not just targeting individual players whenever I'm looking for a trade. So to me, it's about making your consideration set really big. And of course you have your favorites. Of course you have your, your favorite breakouts and so on. Um, But I'm really open to to picking a lot of different guys.
4: So has your, has your strategy changed as it pertains to tight ends going into this year though, because so obviously, you know, it's going to be Kelsey. It's going to be Kittle, you know, Zach yeah, it's it, it, it top three. You've also got a lot of young guys at that position who could bust out. Who could be like this year's Mark yeah. Andrews, right? I mean, I t- like I can give you a half a dozen right, right off the top of my head. So if you, and I'm never, I've never been the type to go after a Kelsey or Kittle because I don't want to miss out on that number two running back or miss out on that number one wide receiver because I have to go out and get these guys so early. So I'm always looking late. Now, last year, the strategy only worked, in the case of Mark Andrews and in case of Darren Waller. Other than that, if you went early tight end, and I'm not talking about Kelsey Kittle or Ertz, O.J. Howard was a bust. Evan Ingram got hurt. Uh, Vance McDonald was a disaster. Uh, David Njoku was was terrible. Austin Hooper ended up being very good uh, as well. But this year, going into your drafts, if you don't get one of these top guys, like at what point in your draft are you thinking, okay, I've punted tight end this long, It's time for me to go after the position because I feel like you can wait even longer than ever if you really have confidence in some of these young upside players.
5: Yeah, totally agree. And that that's really been my approach historically. I I rarely get the elite guys, you know, the Travis Kelseys of the world, but I at least understand getting those guys as opposed to the middle round ones that you mentioned that. That busted at a pretty high rate last year whether it was evan ingram or 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 whoever um and really numbers bear that out if you look at since 2011 if you look at all top 12 tight ends by adp the correlation between where those tight ends were drafted and how many fantasy points they scored was zero meaning wherever the, the tight end 12 within that sample was scoring as many points as the tight end one from a predictability standpoint now if you look at it from the tight end one to the tight end six there is some correlation, which tells us that the middle-round tight ends, the guys that you just mentioned, Fabs, and guys of old, you know, Greg Olson, who was drafted in the middle round for so many years, he was fine. He was just never giving you that really elite ceiling, and that's really what you need to have a a true difference maker at the position um, because you're only starting one of them in your lineup. So uh, if you look at it from that perspective, middle-round tight ends are usually one of the worst bets in fantasy football. I think that's still the case this year for the most part, unless you find drafts where some of those guys drop a little bit. Um, But, you know, guys like Waller this year, uh, it's just tough to get behind them, given not only what we've seen from history, but like you mentioned, every year there are these athletic tight ends that break out uh, that end up, you know, reaching that that top three or four status. And I think this year you can pinpoint, you know, I I wrote a a, how to find a breakout tight end article and I'm going to be going over some of my examples on my show this this next week. There's like 10 of them that I could walk yeah. through. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's insane. So, there are so many reasonable, logical, late round tight ends yeah. that you could target this year that it just I, I get the allure of going with Travis Kelsey. Uh I certainly mm-hmm. do. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's just hard to to ignore what you can get in the t-
4: Eleventh yeah. and twelfth round, uh, well,
3: Gasicki, Gis- Hurst, right, right.
4: Hawkinson, Jarwin, Fant, Smith, Thomas. It's ridiculous. Well, it's right. funny
3: because I, you know, having done you know, between mock drafts and regular drafts, I will say that I am sort of on the, the either end of the spectrum, right? Where I've had I have a couple teams where I I went out and I got George Kittle early, and I've got a couple where I went out and waited and I got you know Gasicki or Fant or what have you. I feel a lot better about those teams than the the few handful of times where I, you know, somehow just, you know, threw up my hands and drafted Hunter Henry in the middle rounds. Like, I felt like, I felt like, you know, at least on the one end, if I have Kittle, I know that there's going to be solid production there week to week. On the other end, if I have Gasicki, look, I, I expect and I hope for the breakout, but I also know that I didn't spend a lot in draft capital to sort of get there. I got Hunter Henry in like the seventh or eighth round, and I just kind of looked at it, and it was like it just sort of laid there as a pick. And I didn't quite really know right. what to do with it. So I you know, I think and it it comes back to you know the phrase opportunity cost, which is sort of the the secret word for the show apparently today, um it is opportunity cost. So it does make me wonder, though, like I know you mentioned that rarely do tight end breakouts, for instance, come out of nowhere that it's it's something we've seen. We've sort of been waiting on the Hunter Henry breakout. We've been waiting on maybe the David Njoku breakout. Does that mean the ship has kind of sailed on those guys at this point?
5: Yeah, I mean, there's some guys that I definitely think that's the case. You know, the one of the things, as you mentioned in the How to Find a Breakout Tight End article um, that I found is that a lot of these guys don't come from nowhere from the perspective that they had some sort of target share the previous season. And by some sort of, I mean, in that 10% range, which sounds low to a lot of people, that's actually like a top 28, top 25 uh, target share for the tight end position. And usually that's where these breakout tight ends were or that That's where they were the previous season. Right. So, you know, the, the biggest example is like a Rob Gronkowski where, uh, you know, 2011, he has his big breakout year. He still did something his rookie season. You know, the, a lot of these guys were doing something. Um, and usually a lot of these breakouts are happening in their, in, in year two and three of the sample that I looked at of, of breakout guys, historically 40% of those breakouts happened in year two and year three. Um, so a guy like Hunter Henry, I mean, maybe the ship has sailed because we're, we're obviously moving forward in his career. We've seen a lot from him. I'm not super bullish on the Chargers offense right now either. Um, and so I think there's a lot of reasons to, to be, you know, of course we can, can like the talent and think that that's there, but there's just a lot of other factors that are, that are weighing down Hunter Henry right now.
4: So typically right now, a lot of the drafts going on are best ball, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, At least it should be. It's way too early to do redrafts, although some of us are doing them for magazines and and other publications and that kind of thing. So when you're doing best ball leagues, are you finding yourself taking shots uh, late on Cam Newton and Antonio Brown? Or are we kind of over those two players at this point?
5: I think Antonio Brown is one of the most undervalued players in fantasy football right now. Um, and, and the main reason is strictly because of upside, right? It's strictly because of what we know could happen if he signs a t- on a team. Like Let's say that we give Antonio Brown a 40% chance to be on a team next year. That, that kind of chance, I'll take that all day where he's being drafted, just given historical bust rates at that position late. Now, I do think it's a little bit different in a redraft league where... Yeah. You're managing your roster, and, and and this is one of the things that I try to stress all the time when people talk, even about handcuffs to a degree, where you're you're holding dead weight almost on your bench, right? You, if if you're drafting a redraft league right now, and we have no idea what's going to happen with Antonio Brown, or you know maybe you don't go that route because you you want to use that bench spot on someone who could develop in camp and maybe break out like a rookie running back or something like that. Um, but you know, generally speaking, historic bust rates in the 13th and 14th round, you're not getting league winning wide receivers. It just doesn't happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we've seen maybe one or two that late over the last decade. Uh, so to, to get a guy like Antonio Brown, where you can say what you want about the off the field stuff, we know what he can do on the field, right? And we saw that even last year in the one game that he played with Tom Brady. Um, I'll take that because I think wherever he lands, likely that team needs a, a wide receiver. Likely he's going to be see a lot of opportunity. You know, if, if he's on a team right now, I think we'd all agree that he's probably like a fifth round pick right? And you're getting him right now in the 13th or 14th round. And if you give him a 30 to 40% chance to be on a team, then that's, that's value.
3: Is he the new Josh Gordon? That guy that we all, we all drool over whenever <laughs> his name comes up. He might
5: be, he might be. But, but again, you know, a lot of times, even though Josh, I will say this, I mean, Antonio Brown's clearly a better wide receiver because right. we've seen him with elite, elite, you know, historically good production. So right. From that perspective, you know, we were get people were openly drafting Josh Gordon in the late rounds historically, and we didn't know where he was going to land and what his situation was going to look like. Why not do the same thing with Antonio Brown?
4: Yeah, it makes sense in best ball, no question. In redrafts, as you mentioned, he's, he's going to get suspended if he ever signs with a team. <laughs> right. so, I mean, we all know that. Like, there's going to be some kind of league discipline for all the knuckleheadedness that he's uh, endured uh, to put us through over the last couple of years. So, but in best ball, I mean, Dude, I mean that's the perfect spot to take a chance on him yeah. late, no doubt about it. Um,
3: <laughs> as we look to go, uh, and this is a thing Fabs and I have talked about multiple times on this show, and I I just want to get thoughts from other folks in the industry with the news that a handful of Texans and Cowboys have tested positive for COVID nineteen, Ezekiel Elliott among them. Have you thought about? Uh, have you talked about anywhere? How rosters how leagues are going to look different because we're obviously going to have to make adjustments because inevitably guys are going to test positive and have to sit out. Have you started to have those conversations about what your leagues are going to look like in this new coronavirus era now.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I've had conversations in leagues that I commission, and just seeing what people thought, and and I, I think the easiest way is to have more IR spots, you know, to to put guys in there whenever they're hurt. But I also think from a draft strategy, hurt when they get coronavirus. I guess you're hurt whenever that happens. But we always <laughs> think of more broken bones. When we, right. When we talk hurt. Um. But uh, with regards to draft strategy, you know, I just mentioned that usually I don't draft like running back handcuffs because. Um, that usually, you know, people are dropping them and, and you can get them later in the season. I'm an advocate of picking them up later in the season as opposed to drafting them because you're holding on to that that dead weight. Um, but now I think that that if you expand rosters a little bit, um, and there's 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 a little bit more reason to go after some of those backups, especially the running back position where we know, you know, if Ezekiel Elliott had tested positive in week two you know, Tony Pollard is, is an RB one fringe RB one or an RB one for the next couple of weeks as Zeke sits out and he's, he's recovering from the virus. So um, with the running back position in particular, I'm, I'm way more open in this environment to get backups. Um, and then I think that that league should at least have the discussion of expanding rosters, maybe by a slot or two on the bench, and then also adding some IR spots. And
4: we also have to keep tabs on a couple of other things too, as fantasy players. Number one is what is the NFL going to do, if anything, differently with players who do contract COVID-19? Do they simply get put on an injured list? Mm -hmm. In in, in which case, like on NFL.com, if you're listed as out, you can't go on the reserve spot. Okay, You have to be either on an injured list, on an exempt list, or suspended to go on those spots. So in that case, if you're playing on NFL.com, then your commissioner really should probably designate a bench spot as a COVID-19 spot just in case. Right? So unless you have a player with COVID-19, that spot is going to be empty in other leagues, like on ESPN, for example, I believe if a player is out, you can put him yep. in that reserve injured spot, in which case it's a little bit different. So we need to hear what the leagues are going to do. And it also makes a lot of sense to know the products that you play on, how they actually determine whether or not a player can be on a reserve spot or not.
3: Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's a whole new world. I mean, it feels like JJ every year. There's something new that we have to figure out. I don't think anybody ever imagined this would be anything we would have to figure out. Never. Oh man. As much as go. Uh, I know folks can find you on Twitter. A late round quarterback. Anything big that folks should be on the lookout for.
5: You know, just just cranking on the podcast. Late round podcast. I do a couple of those every week. That's that's sort of my baby and and what I focus on throughout the seasons. So that's that's the one thing that I always try to
3: try to throw out there on these shows hey no doubt about it Hey, we well, appreciate it again this was long overdue so i'm glad you had some time for us to come on and and have the conversation and uh, hopefully we can do it again at some point keep yeah, up the great so, man. work man appreciate yeah. it man all okay. right jj Zacharyson uh, again number fire and fan duel as well and that'll do it for us as well we are done that is it we are finished we appreciate you listening and downloading and watching our videos as always you know the drill tell two friends to tell two friends rate review and remember if you're gonna seize the day make sure it's the right one take care of yourselves we'll see you next week